Welcome to the podcast. So grateful you joined us today as we move forward into the month of November. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving. And so over the next several weeks, we will be rebroadcasting some podcasts and taking a break as well. And so this week is an actual rebroadcast. And what we're doing is that we're going to be rebroadcasting or replaying a podcast from June 6, 2022. And here's why. Yesterday, during our time together on Sunday morning, we walked through Acts chapter 10 and part of 11. And during that passage of scripture, we saw the spiritual miraculous gift of speaking in tongues. And when we deal with that, a lot of people have a lot of questions. And so instead of trying to answer that with a whole new podcast, we did one back in June and wanted to replay that for you guys. So thank you so much for joining us. Tune into the podcast and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Have a great time. Welcome to the River Hills Church Deep and Wide podcast. Each week, we'll be going a little deeper and casting the vision a little wider based upon what we talked about on Sunday morning. So we are so glad you joined us. Stay tuned as we get rolling into Deep and Wide. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I am so grateful you have chosen to join me as we go a little deeper and get a little wider in application. As you know, I've been on sabbatical for the last several weeks, and instead of going deeper into a sermon that I haven't preached, what we've done is pre-recorded several podcasts during my sabbatical that look at the theme of tough verses. And over the course of the last few weeks, what we've dealt with, um, first of all, was Matthew 8.20, the idea of church discipline and what does it really mean where two or more gathered together? Last week, we looked at the differences in Old Testament law, or we're called to follow that law. Now, today, we're going to deal with a complicated and controversial subject, and it is the idea of miraculous gifts. Now, what do I mean by miraculous gifts? Well, first of all, let's, let's give a working definition of what spiritual gifts are. Spiritual gifts uh, I believe from a biblical perspective are defined as those gifts used to build up the body of Christ for service. Uh, where do I get that? Ephesians chapter four, specifically in verse 12, um, it says that uh, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which is all within the context of spiritual gifts. So when you think about spiritual gifts, some of us think, well, I've got to speak in tongues. I've got to be able to heal someone. Or uh, maybe on the other extreme, I've got to be able to sing well, or I've got to be able to share my faith confidently and at the drop of a hat. Um, all of those are gifts if they're used to build up the local church. Um, so if you have a gift for accounting and you're using that to build up the body of Christ, I, I say that's a gift that God has given you to be able to share the gospel. So that being said, there are a couple of what we call spiritual gifts, uh, specifically in the charismatic realm of the church family, that cause confusion. Uh, that are somewhat misinterpreted, 
uh, somewhat, in many cases, sensationalized. And I want to go ahead and put my cards on the table. This is something I've struggled with. Uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist context in a very uh, rural congregation to where shows of emotion were not expected or required. Um, and yet some of you who are listening here today may have grown up in a Catholic context. Some of you grew up in a Pentecostal context. Um, some of you didn't grow up in church at all. But we all know what these miraculous gifts is what we're going to dub them are. And we all have our own preconceived notions of whether they're legitimate or not, whether they're to be used in church or not, or whether we should even give them the time of day. So from my background, it's something that wasn't investigated, talked about, and it's something later on in life I really had to think through because the first time I experienced this, heard of this, even understood this, it scared me to death. I didn't know what was going on. Um, so let's just kind of think through this for a moment and, and define these miraculous gifts or give them labels. Uh, these miraculous gifts can be labeled as what we call as healing, prophecy, and tongues, the speaking of tongues. So let's, let's, two of them are kind of easy to explain. Uh, one of them is going to say is a little complicated and we'll deal with that. Uh, but let's deal with healing first. That's pretty obvious. This is when someone is healed physically. Um, you may even be able to translate that into healing emotionally or, or, uh, but it's the miraculous idea of someone praying over someone, laying hands on someone and healing them. Now we see this in scripture. You see this in the book of Acts where the apostles heal people. You see this specifically and predominantly in the ministry of Jesus. And so for many of our churches today, we have healing services. Now I want to go ahead and clarify this. There are different ways to look at these miraculous gifts. They're what we call cessationalists. And basically, these people don't believe that these gifts happen anymore. They're what we call continualists. That means you have to use them all the time. And then you have those of us in the middle who are open but cautious. This is a family fight, okay? This is a family disagreement. And so while I don't agree with the cessationalist brothers and sisters, I've learned a lot from them. What I, while I don't agree with the continualist brothers and sisters, I've learned a lot from them. But speaking into a greater biblical understanding of what we are here at River Hills and where I think the the the, the biblical road is on this, let's deal with healing because many of us have an expectation that God would heal us. And that's just not true. Um, we're going to be dealing with this with this teaching series in a couple of weeks. Uh, lies that the church believes. And one of the greatest lies we believe is that God did not, God intended us for not, not to suffer. And that's, that's not accurate. Uh, we see that throughout scripture, taking on the sufferings of Christ. Uh, there is suffering in scripture. In fact, if in every book of the Bible that I can think of, you see and experience some type of suffering. So with that in mind, understand that there is healing in scripture, but it's predominantly with Jesus. Jesus healed people. But think through this for a moment. His healing had a purpose, not so these people would physically be better, but it proves his deity. Uh, he calms storms. He has power over the elements. He multiplies bread and fishes. He, he has power over uh, the things of this world. He casts out demons. He has power over evil and the evil one. He walks on water and then he has power over death by rising from the dead. So every part of Jesus's life specifically as he heals people, demonstrates not only his compassion, his love for people, but at the same time, 
fact that he's God. And when the apostles healed people in the book of Acts, it's not to say, hey, we're going to heal them and that's going to be fine. And that's the mission of the church is to go around and making sick people well. No, it's to prove that they were the messengers. And that's what apostle means, to be a messenger with the authority of the one who sent them of Jesus. And they therefore prove that they are his apostles. Now, this is important. Years ago, I was in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I walked into an orphanage, run-down orphanage, probably was illegal, and went into a room, and um, there was probably in a a room the size of my bedroom or smaller, there were probably eight bunk beds. These bunk beds were filled with different children, and on the bottom bunk of a bunk bed in a corner, there was a girl that was severely crippled, 12, 13, 14 years old, but obviously the way her arms uh, were formed and the way her legs were formed, man, she was, she was crippled. She didn't move. She laid in bed all day long. And I'll never forget saying, Lord, I put my hands on her. Heal this child, heal this child. Nothing happened. Nothing prayed, asked God, stepped out on faith. She wasn't healed. Was it my lack of faith? Was it God's choice? I don't know what the answer is, but one of the things we have to be mindful of is that Jesus is much more concerned about our spiritual healing than our physical. These physical bodies are going to wear out, but as he comes back and reveals himself to his church, everything is going to be made new. And so when we think about healing within the church itself, I want you to understand it has been sensationalized. We've seen this from the health wealth heresy on TV and it's been manipulated. But does healing happen? Yes, absolutely. I know people have experienced that, but it's always used for God's glory and his purposes. We also have the idea of prophecy. Now, prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament are two very different things. And the thing is about prophecy is Prophecy in the Old Testament was uh, from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Malachi. And they said, thus saith the Lord. You know, this is what God is saying and nobody questioned them. But prophecy in the New Testament is basically I've been led to say is that God is leading me to say something. But here is the key to this. First Thessalonians is very clear on this. And while we're desirous to be prophetic in having a word of God for people, and that's something I pray every Sunday as I, as I get up on stage, it's also important to understand that Paul tells us that we are to test it to make sure if it's New Testament, to make sure it's of a God or not. Because there's been many prophetic words that have been given that never, ever, ever have happened. You got to test it. We want it. We want God to work. But the prophecy that we're talking about here is a word from God that are, be t- are to be tested by God's people through Scripture. And then that leads us to tongues, which is the word glossolalia, which from the Greek language is it means language. And when we look at the idea of tongues, in some ways, this is the most controversial in my mind because healing is cut and dry. It either happened or it didn't happen. Now, yes, it has been sensationalized. Prophecy is either being tested or it's not of God. And we can tell that pretty quickly. Um, Man, gosh, I saw a pastor going back to prophecy uh, or speaking word and power. 
uh, during COVID, uh, <laughs> blowing at the wind, telling COVID to go away. And uh, it hadn't. Here's the deal. With tongues, it can be a little bit more confusing. It can be a little bit more uh, misunderstood. And and many people believe, and that's why you have uh, some churches that, that fall into this camp, that in order to be saved, you are supposed to speak in tongues. And that's where you get the term full gospel. It's, if you don't speak in tongues, you haven't experienced the full gospel, which we know isn't true. It's by grace you've been saved. So that being said, thinking about tongues as a whole, understanding it's a language, understanding it's meant for God's purposes to do his will. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, this is um, really one of the main passages about tongues. We see this in the church of Corinth, which is a very much dysfunctional church. But interestingly enough, the church of Corinth also had all kinds of people from all types of different places, um, um, from different areas, speaking different languages and needed to hear the gospel. Starting in verse six, it says, now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be you unless... I bring you some revelation of knowledge of prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or harp. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's distinction among the notes? Again, the trumpet does not sound a clear call. Who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will be just speaking in the air. Here's the deal. So much you see about tongues is just speaking in the air. Tongues are not bibble babble. Tongues are to be interpreted. Tongues are to be understood. Verse 10, undoubtedly there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to that speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may be, may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I also will sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is put in position of inquire say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? So here's the deal. Verse, let me, let's do one more verse. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. What's he saying here? Tongues have a purpose. And tongues are to be interpreted. Now you say, Chip, well, in the book of Acts, we see tongues everywhere. Okay, yeah, you do. In fact, you see them three places. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the apostles who received the Holy Spirit, uh, and then that ushered in the church, the evidence of the new covenant to every believer spoke in tongues. But here's what's so beautiful about them in Acts chapter 2. They spoke in tongues at a period of time when there were millions of people in Jerusalem that just celebrated the Passover and were there for Pentecost as well. They were there celebrating. They had different languages. And it says here in verse chapter 2, verse 5, now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
in in that regard, in in that time in history, in verse fourteen, Peter stood up among the eleven, preached the gospel, and the end result was three thousand people came to Jesus. Acts chapter ten, verse verse forty six. Jews who had come to know Jesus were with Simon Peter, and he shares the gospel with the Gentiles who came to know Christ and spoke in tongues to demonstrate to the Jewish believers that God saves Gentiles too. Acts chapter 19, verse 6, John the Baptist's disciples came to know Christ, and when they did, they spoke in tongues. It said they had not received the Holy Spirit. And, and here's what you need to understand. They had come, not come to know Jesus yet. They believed that Jesus was a good man, a Messiah, but they were following the rules and regulations that John the Baptist had laid out for them. And once they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongue, and they qualified their faith in Jesus, not in the rules of John the Baptist. This is important to keep in mind because what we see in Scripture in the book of Acts, in living examples, is that tongues was used to express the gospel and to give evidence that Christ was going to, going to save people groups, Jews, Gentiles, and John the Baptist's disciples. Then go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now here's where we really need to come together. Verse 22, tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and it, or inquirers or inquirers or unbelievers come in, well, then I say that you are out of your mind and that is absolutely the truth. So many times people have come and tried to speak in tongues and have been out of order, out of God's will. Verse 26, what shall we say, brothers and sisters, when we come together, each of you has a hymn or a word instruction or revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at th most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet. When we see these gifts being used, we rarely see those principles put into place. So, here is where we are with these miraculous gifts. Can they still happen today? Absolutely. We know of stories all over the mission field where people who spoke one language shared their faith in a different language that they did not know, and people came to know Jesus. I myself, when I stand on the pulpit, have been preaching things I've prepared, said things, and people coming to me after the church and said, you were speaking right to me. How did you know I was dealing with that? I don't know. That was God using those moments. We've seen people healed. Those things happen. However, they fall within the paradigm of God using it to build up the church. Now, some of you are saying this. I know. But I've spoken in tongues, and that was an experience. And how do you negate my experience? Let's be honest with each other. We've all had experiences that are false. We've all had feelings or been caught up in a moment that were wrong. One example, then we'll wrap up. Years ago, I worked at a, with an organization and a lot of team building, a lot of trust building, a lot of synergy within the staff. We met together sing songs together. I was 19 years old. Great experience. And it was an almost spiritual organization. 
but it wasn't Christian. But there was that feeling of goodness, like you would gather together at Christmas, like you would be in a worship service where you felt good. And I'll never forget coming together. We sang our song about our group. It was a camp. We worked with kids. We sang our song as a group. Everybody felt good. Everybody was smiling. It was a neat experience. And one of the guys come up to me as times like, and he said this, I'll never forget this. As times like this, you feel the presence of God. And even in my own sin in those moments, Christ was in me enough to where it was absolutely not. Is it in the presence of God? This is a feeling. This is an experience. Much like going to a concert where everybody's singing together, holding up their lighters, getting chill bumps, much like it is in Nazi Germany, where Hitler led millions of people to their death, inspired and bought in, much like it is to those who follow an unprincipled, unbiblical paradigm by a leader and the experience is wrong. And I'm not based, I'm not comparing those experiences to what happened in Nazi Germany, but I am using it to illustrate that our experiences and our feelings can be wrong. And it can be just as wrong as it pertains to the church. So as you are open to God using you, Make sure you're managing and using these miraculous gifts in a powerful way. Thank you guys so much for joining our podcast. I hope it has been as enlightening as it for you as it has been challenging for me. Next week, we're going to be dealing with Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And if you know anything about that passage, this should be a lot of fun. Check in with us next Monday. Can't wait to see you guys on June 26th.